I'm glad that you're here. Man, uh, you pretty much nailed it, Nick, with community and stuff like that. As as a pastor, you that's basically means shepherd is what that means. I'm not I get the opportunity to teach, uh, not preach, but really it's just to shepherd you, which is to hang out with you to uh, I'm probably more of a uh, facilitator than I am a discipler. I think that you guys are really the disciplers out here. You're the ones that I and I'll, I I feel like I'm what's that Green Acres, you know, where they had the switchboard or Beverly or not Beverly Hillbillies, a Petticoat Junction or something like that. That switchboard person. I feel like I'm that person, you know, just connecting people all the time. And uh, you guys are the real disciplers. And I, I say that because. This is really where Paul is in his ministry in Acts. We're wrapping up chapter 18 and jumping into 19. And in this transition, Paul has gone, finished his second missionary journey, has gone back to Antioch, his home, resting up, cleaning up, getting food back in him, everything else. And he's just ready to go again on his third missionary trip, which is Today, we'll get started on his third missionary trip. But in the meantime, you take what you have, what Luke wrote in Acts, and you take Paul's letters, and we put them all together, and we can begin to paint this picture of what really happened and get the whole picture of it all. So that's really what we're doing today, is I'll take a lot from 1 Corinthians, which we'll get to actually next week. Uh, but then uh, also some scripture from Romans and other letters that he's written. Uh, We even talk about Philemon today. But here's what is going on in the transition from the second missionary journey to the third missionary journey. There's a dude named Apollos. Apollos is in Ephesus, which if you remember at the end of the second missionary journey, Paul made a quick trip to Ephesus, spoke in the synagogue, didn't stay long, just kind of wet their appetite, and then he went home. So now this guy Apollos is there with Priscilla and Aquila. Remember, Paul left them there in Ephesus as well. And he begins visiting the synagogue And he's looking for God-seekers to tell them this message. Uh, They follow up with those who were impressed with Paul's message when he was there because he's obviously delivered the message of Jesus Christ. And Priscilla and Aquila are hammering at home. They have learned from Paul. They're encouraging those. But then Apollos, he's never heard Paul's message. So uh, it's interesting too, I'll I'll mention this name, Epinetus, which was actually in Romans chapter 16, verse 5. He was the very first convert by Aquila and Priscilla in all of Ephesus and Asia. Look, it says, Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. He's the like Priscilla and Aquila are the ones that got to lead him to the Lord. So that is his one claim to fame is that they have now got a con- convert 
in Ephesus. So we go back to Acts chapter 18 and we left off in verse 23. So we'll pick up in 24. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the Scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He was Jewish, but he was from a Roman city called Alexandria. Anybody know anything about Alexandria? It was where Alexander the Great was from, and it was in Egypt. This was a huge city, metropolitan city, and Apollos was well-educated, well-learned. He knew a lot. But think about this, the customs that he came from, from a major Roman city, where Jews had influence because there was actually a large Jewish community there. And now he is coming to Ephesus with his Jewish background, and he knows the Scripture forwards and backwards. If he's a well-educated man, comes from a big city, that has a huge Jewish community, he knows his stuff. And he's delivering it to the synagogue. Alexandria Alexandria was the second most important city in the whole Roman Empire. It had a center for education and philosophy. It was the population there was over 700,000 people. This is where he came from. This is in 54 AD, 700,000 people living in one city. The population was quite cosmopolitan too because it was made up of Egyptians. It was made up of Romans. It was made up of Greeks. It was made up of Jews. There was a good mix of people there. And at least probably a quarter of the population was Jewish. So this is Apollos' background. This is who he is. Verse 25, it says this, He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus. Although he knew only John's baptism, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Okay, just as I said, Apollos knew the Old Testament scriptures. He knew them well and he was able to teach them with this boldness and this power that not too many other people could do. When it says he was fervent in spirit, in my translation, spirit is not capitalized. And so we really don't know if when Luke is describing Apollos, if he's talking about was he full of the spirit of God? Or was his spirit, his personality, just one that was full and robust? What was he talking about? We only have what Luke wrote. So you can make your own interpretation. I would say that he was probably just talking about his personality. About who he was, that he was a passionate man. I mean, he was bold enough to enter the synagogue and tell them Jesus was the Messiah that was to come. The 
the guy was pretty bold. The only problem with his being enthusiastic was he was declaring an incomplete gospel. You ever had a problem with that, Matt? Somebody preaching an incomplete gospel? <laughs> Every Friday. That's awesome. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of a, a big deal around here is, is teaching an incomplete gospel is that, you know, for me, an incomplete gospel is this. Is that I know Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I know that He came and He had a plan. I know that He was put up on the cross. I know that He died, His blood was poured out, and that I was forgiven and that I have salvation in Jesus Christ. I, I know that. And so we as a church teach that. We call that evangelism. Get people saved. Sign the contract for salvation. Make sure that they get to heaven. But there's a whole nother side that never gets taught. That's that he took your old heart out, replaced it with a new heart. That the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. Some people get scared to say that there's a Holy Spirit living inside of them because you know, that whole charismatic movement kind of scares them. But the truth of the matter is, it's for real. There's a Holy Spirit living inside of you, and He will cause you to do unbelievable things. And so there's a whole other side. If you, can, if you can get past the Old Testament way of doing things, which was God gave us the law, and He said obey the law, and they tried to do that in their own strength, and they were not successful at it, they weren't successful at it. That's why Jesus had to come because they weren't successful at it. All right? Jesus came, died, went to heaven, sent a Holy Spirit to live inside of you to say, hey, you need a paraclete, you need a helper, you need someone to do this for you. If you will trust them, they will do this for you. That is what is not taught in the church today. It's really not. We're still doing things in our own strength. You must be a good person. You must get up early and pray, and you must do this. You must read your Bible. You must spend time. You must meditate. You must do this. When the truth of the matter is, I'm to live my life and honestly let the Holy Spirit live it for me. And when that happens, I want to hang out with the Lord. I want to read my Bible. I want to hang out with other believers. I want to have community. I have a new heart. I call this learning to live out of your new heart. That's really what this whole thing is about. If there's any one thing about Levner that I want you to know, is I pray that you learn how to live out of your new heart. One, that you've been given a new heart. But two, how do I live out that new heart? Biggest part's trust. Biggest, biggest part's trust. Trust that this is true. Trust what the Word says is true. Trust that the Spirit's in you will do it. That's hard, right? That, that's where we struggle. That's where we try to learn how to live out of the new heart. So now, Priscilla and Aquila are listening to Apollos, and he's in the synagogue teaching the Jews the Old Testament. He's talking about Jesus, but... There's something incomplete here. And they're disturbed by it. They're disturbed by it. In the Gospels and Acts, it's precisely the Holy Spirit who distinguishes 
the baptism of John from that of Jesus. Remember when John the Baptist came, he was baptizing people. You know what baptism actually means? It means to actually represent. Like when you were baptized under John the Baptist, you believed in his message. And what was his message? His message was, hey, there is a Messiah that is about to come. And you need to repent of your sins. And that Messiah is Jesus. That was John's message. And so people got baptized and were represented by John the Baptist's baptism. So now, this is where Apollos was. He was under John the Baptist's baptism. He was following the message of John the Baptist, but it was still incomplete. It wasn't that it was inaccurate or that it was insincere. It was just incomplete. Watch. It says, After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. <laughs> in other words, they sat in the synagogue and they listened to Apollos teach. And they're like, oh man, uh, he's, he's missing out on stuff. Let's invite him to our house. We'll fix a nice Sabbath dinner. And we'll fill him in on the rest. That Jesus not only came but that he died, his blood was poured out, he was buried, and that he rose again. And now he sent this spirit that came in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Apollos doesn't even know that Pentecost has occurred. He's only got the John the Baptist part. So now Priscilla and Aquila take him to the house and they give him the rest of the story. Paulus, this is what you need to know. This is what happened after John the Baptist's message. This is like the last piece of the puzzle. And guess what? Apollos trusted and believed in that. And the next Sunday, the next Saturday, the next Sabbath, whatever it was, he was back in the Jewish synagogue Teaching the complete story. Teaching the complete message. Watch what it says here. It says, When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples. He was wanting to go to Corinth. If you remember from the maps last week. The brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was with a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the Scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. So literally, now Apollos has got the full message. He decides, hey, I want to go over to Corinth and encourage them because they obviously have heard it from Paul. And the people in Ephesus, the disciples there, Priscilla and Aquila said, hey, you know what? we'll write you a letter that you can take and it'll have our stamp of approval that you're teaching the complete message. Remember, these letters were important. Remember when, when Paul was like uh, going out and reaching the Gentiles and he had to go back to Jerusalem and they say, hey, he's teaching the right thing. They gave him a letter. These were letters of approval. 
So now Apollos has got this letter and he goes over to Corinth and it's probably signed by Aquila and Priscilla and all the other disciples. And now he has an effective ministry in Corinth. The mention of the Ephesian brothers who provided this letter for Apollos is significant because it's their first clear evidence that there was a church there in Ephesus. I mean, what good is the letter if it can't be validated by believers, right? So now we not only know that Apollos went to Corinth with this letter, but we know that there was a pretty strong and valid church in Ephesus at the time. And then he went to Corinth, and all he did when he got to Corinth was strengthen the saints. This is what, Nick, this is what you were talking about. It's like, can we hang out together? Can we disciple one another? Can we spend time together? Can we love one another in a community? And this is exactly what Apollos was doing with the people in Corinth. And even to the unbelieving Jews, he's now trying to tell them the full gospel, the full message. And then we get to Acts chapter 19. We're going to compete with video games today. If you can't hear, you can move up. Move up closer if it's too obnoxious. Uh, We're now to the summer of 54 AD. And it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, when Apollos was in Corinth, he's literally arguing and refuting the local Jews in the synagogue. And it says, uh, all the people started listening to Apollos. Remember, he's learned, he's well-educated, he's, he knows his stuff. And here's the sad thing that happened. Anybody know what happened? They started developing cliques. You know, Paul came to Corinth originally and shared the gospel. And we're fans of Paul. We're fans of Paul because... He's the original one that shared the gospel with us. But you know, uh, Apollos has got a good following too because he speaks more eloquently. He says donuts right. He, 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 he's, he uses good grammar. He, he, he's just totally different. He's more eloquent. We kind of like Apollos. Oh yeah, well, we kind of like Timothy. Timothy's young, he's servant. You know, he's humble. All of a sudden, now there's cliques that are happening and it's causing a disruption in Corinth. And as we get into 1 Corinthians next week, this is going to be one of the things that Paul addresses. But you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 12, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, verse 22, chapter, chapter 4, verse 6, and you can see that now all of a sudden, there's issues that are happening in Corinth, and it's all based upon which speaker they like better, which teacher they like better, which discipler had more effect on them. And then here we go. This is where Paul starts his third missionary journey. Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. This is all uh, verse 1. Let me show you the map real quick. Paul starts in Antioch, the yellow on the far right, and he goes up through Cilicia, and he hits Derbe, Iconium, Lystra, 
uh, Antioch and Pisidia, and he gets all the way over to Ephesus today. So he's literally retracing his steps from the very first missionary journey when all these churches in the Galatia area, which is that area he just went through, when they all got started. He's retracing his steps for the third time. So here's some things that happened that you have to piece together. When Apollos leaves, Barnabas pays a visit to Corinth to strengthen all the believers there. We see that when Paul writes his letter in 1 Corinthians 9.6. He refers to Barnabas, and at some point, Barnabas had to make a visit to Corinth. And guess who else made a visit? Peter and his wife. Peter and his wife also visit Corinth. You can look this verse right before that. Verse 5. And Peter, it says, is noted for his signs and wonders. He actually did some miracles there in Corinth. And that was his custom. Whenever he visited churches, Peter performed some healings in the city. It was his M.O. It was what he was known for. God had given him the ability to do that, and it just affirmed that the gospel was being taught and true through Peter. Uh, you know, the Jews, they, they kind of like the whole miracle thing. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, it, Paul literally says, For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. The Jews want to see miracles, but the, the Greeks just want to talk about it. They want to philosophize about it. They want the theology. But the Jews, Peter was a Jew and he taught the Jews he was doing the miracles. And then there's this whole reaction to the growing division. Some of the Corinthians declared that Paul was the, very, was the only apostle. That while others are claiming that, no, I'm not going to follow even Paul, I'm exclusively following Christ. Just forget Paul, I'm staying with Christ. And the church there in Corinth is now becoming fractured. Parties are developing around the whole different apostolic workers who have visited the church. So here's what happened. Paul leaves Antioch with Titus. Think about this for a second, because he's... Remember last week we said when Paul is in Antioch, he's got three things that he's focusing on when he goes out. One of them was he wants to train men. He wants to have interns with him. He wants to get people because he's 50 years old. He's old in those ages. And, and he wants other men to do what he's doing. So he leaves Antioch with Titus. And the two men that head up through Tarsus, they go through Sicilia, and they also through South Galatia. They also visit and encourage all the Galatian churches, strengthening them in their faith. He's literally going back through and encouraging them in what they've learned, what they've done, and how they're teaching others. And watch. From South Galatia, Paul picks up Gaius from Derbe. Now there's three of them. And Timothy from Lystra. They're all heading to Ephesus. Paul, Titus, Gaius, and Timothy. They go through that upper country and make their way to the land of Ephesus in Asia Minor. When they come to Ephesus, 
they meet three more brothers whom Paul sent for. Sopater of Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus, both of Thessalonica. Now he's got eight of them together. Actually, seven of them together. He's going to train these six men in Ephesus for the work of planting churches. You're not going to read all this in Luke's letter in Acts. You literally have to pull this from all the different books, the letters that Paul has written. These men also are going to serve as delegates. Remember, one of the other functions that Paul wanted to do is he wanted to collect a a relief fund for Jerusalem. And the way that he was doing that was he was going to the Gentile churches, collecting funds, and he was going to take it back to the Jews in Jerusalem. But to make it even better, he had representation from every church as he picked up these men. And so these men were going to represent the relief fund collected by the Gentiles when it went back to Jerusalem. Luke doesn't exactly tell us that Paul picked these men up to go with him to Ephesus. We just know that they're in Ephesus there with him. We have to assume that he picked them up and we know where they were left off. And then let me tell you a little bit about Ephesus. Because this is important if this is where Paul's going to spend a good deal of time. Ephesus is this, it's a free Greek city located uh in right near the water, which flows into the Aegean Sea. The city's right there on the Aegean Sea. It's on a river. And the population of Ephesus is about 225,000 people. Again, it has a large Jewish population. It's a seaport. It's one of the first ranking cities of Asia Minor in commerce, in wealth, in politics, and religion. It's kind of like the New York of the ancient world. Very popular place to go. The city has a central hub that connects the eastern world with the western world, making it just this incredible city of wealth. And now, Paul's going to make camp right there in Ephesus. You know, one of the seven wonders of the world is there in Ephesus. The temple of Artemis, or Diana. Here's that temple, it took 220 years to build out of white marble. The temple is 220 feet by 425 feet. It was supported by 127 columns, each of them 60 feet high, and is adorned by some of the greatest sculptors of the age. This was the temple of Diana. This was Ephesus, the city that Paul was about to spend some quality time. The end of verse 1 says this. He found some disciples, verse 2, and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? For Paul, a true disciple of John, a completed disciple of John, was a Christian. That is the whole point of this whole story right here. He's wanting to make sure that they knew the whole story. Did you hear what he asked? He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So now he comes to Ephesus. He finds these men, these disciples, 
and they don't even know that there's a Holy Spirit. They're like Apollos. We only heard the first part. We didn't hear the second part. You know, John's disciples, surely, John the Baptist's disciples, surely would have been acquainted with the Holy Spirit because he talked about it. He, they just never knew that it actually came and that it occurred. And so, verse 3, it says this, Into what then were you baptized, he asked them, into John's baptism. He just painted the picture there. Paul's literally finding out, oh, you don't have the complete gospel either. You don't know that Jesus literally died, was buried, rose again, and now the Holy Spirit's come. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him. That is, in Jesus. That was John the Baptist's message. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now there were about twelve men in all. Hmm. Let's clarify something here. There were two baptisms. There were two. One initially was with John the Baptist. The other was with Jesus. I believe in, I represent the faith of Jesus Christ. One was I represent the faith of John the Baptist. The other was I represent the faith of Jesus Christ. Part of the gospel, the full gospel. Sometimes that gets translated, we're supposed to be baptized twice. And the second time that we get baptized we get our hands laid on and we receive the Holy Spirit. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma with Oral Roberts University, Rima Bible College. It was the charismatic capital of the world. And based upon this passage of Scripture right here, you got salvation in the first baptism, but there's a second baptism that occurred and then you get the Holy Spirit and you're able to prophesy and speak in tongues. Well, that's not what's occurred here. That's totally taken this out of context. They didn't know that Jesus had literally died, buried, rose again, and that Holy Spirit had come. Paul's giving these disciples, who were believers, were God-seekers, giving them a chance to understand the full gospel. And when they did, then they were baptized upon that belief and just like you, the moment that you believe Jesus was the Son of God and that you received salvation, you received the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. There is a holy living God inside of you. When you walked into this place, you walked in here with the Lord. You're sitting next to people who have the living God inside of them. This is a holy place because of who is here with us in you. That's the full, complete gospel. Well, not that I need a, I don't need a second baptism. I, 
I got that second baptism that it's referring to here the very first time I believed because I was taught the complete gospel as a child. I didn't just receive John the Baptist's message alone. I received John the Baptist's message along with this is who Jesus did, what he did for me. And so now he's baptized these 12 men and he finds actually two other converts that were Greek. That was Tychicus and Trophimus. And now the body of Christ is literally being born in Asia. And then watch what happens here. Verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue. He's in Ephesus. Entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly over a period of three months. Arguing. (laughs) Arguing. And persuading them about the kingdom of God. This is the old covenant, which Paul knew really well. This is the Gospels. This is when Jesus came here to earth, and this is what he did. He fulfilled the law that you couldn't fulfill. He was crucified, buried, rose again. And now, this is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. He's literally teaching the Jews who only have the old covenant and are just bound by living in their own strength and in their own desires to fulfill the law. And he's telling them there's a new way. He says he's arguing with them. (laughs) You ever argued with anybody about the old covenant and the new covenant? I don't know if I've... Well, maybe I have. Maybe I have argued. But I have a lot of discussions about this. Because here's what happens. The believers today take this, this is the Word of God, and they keep it all together. Like, let's just teach this whole thing. I'm good with that. You know that I teach from the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the truth of the matter is, this is the Old Covenant, and this is the New Covenant. Really, think about this for a second. This is the Old Covenant. What does the Old mean? (laughs) It's it's past. It's past. If there's a new covenant, it made this one old. There's separation here, and that separation is the cross. So even though I teach this whole thing, this is what happened in the old covenant, but this is what's happening in the new covenant. It is the hardest thing for people to grasp. That there's really two different covenants. I'm not talking Old Testament and New Testament. I'm talking Old Covenant and New Covenant. Jesus ushered in the New Covenant at the cross when He said, you can't do the Old Covenant. You can't do it. It's it's taken that long for us to show you that you can't do it. So I'm going to do it for you. I fulfilled the law. I'm going to die. And now I'm going to send this Holy Spirit to you and He's going to do it for you. You see the difference, right? Holy cow. It's like there's, there's two different things here. And Paul is arguing with them. Because why? Because it's so ingrained with them that this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to follow the law. 613 laws in Leviticus, and then they've added a bunch of laws when you 
the oral law, that they're bound by the law. And Paul is literally trying to set men and women free. It says this, But when some became hardened, hmm, there's that, that word that is, is, is difficult to uh, interpret, but when some became hardened, watch, this was their choice. When they become hardened, they chose not to receive Jesus as the Messiah. They became hardened because they made the choice. Not because Jesus hardened their heart or God hardened their heart, but they made the choice. It says, but when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd... He withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. The Jews rejected Paul's teachings. It's very simple. Verse 10, it says this, This went on for two years. So all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Now, here, here's, here's an interesting thing. He, he's in the synagogue, preaches for a period of time. They reject him, and he leaves. And he goes to this teaching place, the Hall of Tyrannus. The Hall of Tyrannus is just in another school. And guess what? In Greco-Roman times, you know what, day, what time the workday ended? 11 a.m. <laughs> nice, huh? So, literally from sun up, maybe 6 a.m. to 11 a.m., that was the work day. Then you would have a nice meal, and then you would go take a nap. Yeah, you like that? So, guess what Paul did? If people were being educated from 6 to 11, he's like, well, I would like to use the hall from 11 to 4. And every day I'm going to come here at 11 o'clock when you guys are done working, when you're done finished with school and everything else. I'm going to hang out here and I'm going to teach you from 11 to 4. Paul literally ministered this way for two years. Every day going to the local educational hall and teaching the full, complete gospel of Jesus. And it says right there, it says, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. And you know that they began to respond to it. You take that letter of Philemon. Philemon owns a slave named Onesimus. And Paul literally, during this time in Ephesus, leads Philemon to Christ. And he becomes a help to Paul. Like Paul says, Philemon, you're, you're important to me because you support this ministry. And then after a short stay, Philemon and Onesimus head back to their home in Colossae where we get the book Colossians. 
Then around the same time, the same time, there's a man named Epaphras. Epaphras visits, and he's also from Colossae. Paul leads him to the Lord. And Epaphras stays in Ephesus for a time to learn from Paul in the church, and then he heads back to Colossae. This was Paul's whole ministry. I'm going to stay in Ephesus, and I'm going to be here every day at 11 o'clock. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you about Jesus Christ. No agendas. I, I know you got politics. I know you got stuff going on. I know there's economic stuff going on. But right here, right now, I'm just going to teach you about Jesus. And don't forget this. How many disciples did he have around him? When I say disciples, they literally were learning what Paul was teaching so that they could go teach other men and women. We're in the middle of a pandemic. You've been quarantined. You learned how to isolate yourself. We got about half of you back. That's it. They're saying that 20% will never come back to the church from the pandemic. Paul's saying this. This is important. Being with people is important. Hanging out together is crucial. Because we live in a fallen world and we're being attacked. We're being distracted as Matt asked for prayer. There's stuff that's going on. And the only way that we as a body of Christ are going to get through this is if we stay together. I don't care how many people are in here. I, I don't care. What I do care about is the spiritual health of this body. That's what Paul cared about. This is important. Not that you're here in this very room, but you're connected with one another. That we have much in common because of what we believe in the Word. And this is all Paul's saying. I, I'm going to hang out here for two years. I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to invest in these men right here. And we're going to literally spread them out, leave some here, spread them out. And we're going to teach others to do the same thing. You think it was effective? Here we are 2,000 years later doing the same thing. Trying to teach what I believe is the complete gospel of Jesus Christ. That you know who you are in Christ. That you know there's a holy living God inside of you. That you can believe it so much that you're able to trust it trust it. Lord, I pray for trust in this group. I pray for myself that I can trust it. Lord, give me belief that you'll say exactly what you've promised in your word. That you will live my life for me. And that you do that with my friends and that we stay together as a community. That we love one another. That we encourage one another. That we help one another. Give us the ability to to do that. So Lord, thank you for 
just these men and women, Priscilla and Aquila. I love how Aquila was a part of teaching Apollos. That you use both men and women to disciple others. And you give us that story today to study. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.